All right, you guys can go ahead and be seated. We are continuing into week two of our series called How to Neighbor. And if you missed last week or you need a reminder because you, you, you didn't complete your homework, uh, we're, we're looking at how to be a better neighbor. And each week is coming with a little bit of homework. And what you were assigned last week is you were supposed to invite a neighbor that you don't really know over for a meal. And I've heard from, from some people at first service that they did this. Some of them got a no, some of them got a yes. But either way, we're moving out with obedience, which is what we know God wants out of his church. And so if you fail to complete your homework or you were absent, you get one day to like complete your homework, like the makeup day, um, get on it because we want to be a church that chases after our city. So last week we talked about who our neighbor is. And we looked at scripture and we, we, we realized and we talked about that it doesn't matter what their eye color is, hair color is, skin color is. We're all created in the image of God and people who are different from us are the same as us in relates to the culture that we were raised in. We're all called to be one family. We're all going to worship before the same throne one day as we stand before God. And we looked at that truth and, and we need to move towards people whose life has been different than ours. And, and today, and, and part of that, we looked at Jesus' teaching where he told the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and it brought out that, that simple truth that the greatest commandment for us is love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and when we get into tough times and we get into struggles in our life, we often turn to lots of different ways or, or concepts of how to fix it. But one of the best ways to get our life back on track is to really start with those first two things. Am I loving the Lord, my God, with my heart? And am I, am I loving my neighbor? And when we begin to get those two things in line, it's like the other things kind of fall into where they need to be. And, and this series that, that we're diving into, uh, it's, it's just so practical. And, and I'm excited about it because I've already heard how God's been using it in some of our family's lives. But while I was preparing this week, I had three different phone calls uh, from people in our church that were basically setting up the three coming weeks of this series, which to me was just a confirmation that, you know, this is something that our church needs right now. I got a call from someone, which is one of our weeks, who's dealing with loneliness. And the fact is, the church is called to be a body, a community. We're not designed to do life alone. And so the church should be engaging in people who have been feeling isolated. And, and, and we should be moving towards that. I heard from a family who God's putting it on their heart to adopt a child that's in a crisis situation, and they're wanting prayer for that. And one of our weeks is, is going to be about caring for those in the foster care system, adopting those who, who don't have a parent. You know, Scripture teaches us the true and faultless religion is this, that you care for the widow and the orphan in their distress. This is a calling that's placed on the church. I mean, these are things that we need to be moving towards. And today, this week, which is also something I got a call, call about, I got a call from a family that's financially struggling. And, and they wanted prayer, and they, 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 they were wrestling with, do I accept help or not? And they're to the point where they're not ready to accept the help yet, but they wanted, they wanted prayer for it. And when someone is in poverty or someone is financially struggling, the church is supposed to step into these situations. This is a calling that is honest. But I know definitely in, in America, our concept of poverty, I mean, it varies a lot. And, and you can go to some places to look at some different perspectives of what poverty is. Like you can get some really interesting perspectives of what poverty is on Twitter. 
If you search I'm so poor on there, you can find some different things. These are some of the things that, that you'll find if you look up I'm so poor. And this is a joke for, the, for, for if you're younger, you may not get this one, and that's okay. But uh, one, of the peop- one person said, I'm so poor, my baloney has no first name. All right, it's okay if, you, if you're not, not old enough for that. Uh, another person said, I'm so poor, I rub cologne from magazines on my shirt. And when, they, and when someone says, oh, you smell good, what is that? I say page five. It's one perspective of poverty. Uh, another one said, I'm so poor, I go to KFC to lick other people's fingers. That's just, that, that's gross. That sounds like a Florida man story right there. That's not right. Uh, you, you know, it, it's some funny things about, you know, people who think they're poor, but I know that when you're in the midst of a situation where you're financially struggling, it's not, it's not humorous. It's not funny. And most of us can recall times in our life where we've been in the middle of the struggle. And we can remember the tension, we can remember the, the fear, we can remember the anxiety. And we as the church, we're called to step into these situations in different ways. And we're going to look at four different sections of scripture today. And so if you have your Bible, you can be ready to, to jump around with me. We're going to start in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. And we'll, of course, project the words up on the screen as I read them. And starting in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Now, I hope that you see clearly in this passage that there is a call to action on the church. There's this perspective that we can't just think about, we can't just feel about, but we actually have to do something about the situations that we see. And I hope that you're in agreement with me on this, that when we talk about what God's love is like, that God's love it's, it's huge. It's expansive. I mean, Scripture says that he takes our sin and he separates it as far as the east is from the west. I mean, how deep and how wide is the love of God? I mean, he, he loved us so much that while we were still enemies, he sent his son. For he so loved the world that he sent his, his son to die for us. I mean, his love is huge. His, his love is unmerited. We can't earn it. And so when the world looks at us and we say, this amazing love that God has for us lives in us. And they see us saying that. But then in our life, we look at someone who is in the midst of a struggle and we have the capacity, we have the ability to influence that situation for the better. And we just say, no, there's rightfully this internal conflict that they feel that says something doesn't match up here. And it's not just the world looks at us and sees us and questions that. Scripture is actually saying that question is right, that question is rational. Because how can, in verse 17, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? It's this question that is formed, that it doesn't make sense for this huge, amazing love to be at life within our heart, but then we look at a need that we're able to fill and just say, nope, not interested. There's something wrong there. There should be a call to action that's in the heart of God's people. And in verse 17, I mean, that's a strong word. 
Like, like that, that's kind of hard to hear. And especially if you've been keeping other people at, at a distance, it kind of, it's rough. And you can see in verse 18, it takes this tender turn within the passage where it says, dear children. I mean, we have that corrective statement, but then this, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. We need to be a church that doesn't just hear the word, but we're doers of the word. That our faith leads us to take actions in other people's lives. There's this call to action that's a natural response to this incredible love that God has given to us. And, and so, you know, we'll, we'll get, I understand that one of the questions that always comes up, well, you know, what if they're in a bad place? What if they're, they're not going to, you know, make anything out of themselves when I help them? We'll get to that in a bit. But the first thing is that when you see a situation and God begins to put it on your heart that you should meet that need, that there's something wrong that if we just say, not interested, not responsive. When God puts it and he begins to move in your heart, move in your mind, this is something that you should step into. Our faith should take action. There is a call to action. In Matthew 25, I'm going to I'm going to paraphrase the story for time's sake, but in Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching this perspective of it's kind of this, this judgment situation, this end of days, where he says he's going to take the people and he's going to separate his people from the people who rejected him. And he's going to have this conversation with him, and it's kind of an interesting conversation because he's going to say, I, I, I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the people that he says, you did this for me, they're going to respond to him in a way that I don't know that I would naturally respond with, they're going to say, when did we ever do that? I mean, I think if I'm on that side and he says, hey, you did this for me, I'm just going to sit so quietly and be like, yes, I want to be on this side of the aisle, not on that side. But, but in the teaching, he says, they're going to say, when did we ever do that? And, and his response is, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. Now, we love the stories where it's like, hey, I helped that person get back on their feet and they started a business and they made millions of dollars and they're a great parent and they adopted six children and they're driving a BMW and they got there because I helped them. And how amazing is that? We love those stories. It's easy to help people when we see that potential in them. But, but that's one of the greatest of these. I mean, what's being described in the passage is when you help the least of these, when you help the person who, who might squander the opportunity that you give them, when you help the person who will continue to struggle for years, when you help the person who will amount to the least out of everybody else in the crowd, Jesus takes what you did for them so personal that he says, it's as if you did this for me. And so we have a call to action that's very clear in the first passage, but we also have this call to accountability that Jesus wants to have this conversation and, and he sees your situations as this, is that when you use your time, when you use your resources, when you invest yourself into someone else, it's as if you're standing before the throne and you're doing this for Jesus himself. This is how close that is to the heart of God. And so for us as a church, for you as a family, when we see these opportunities that we can step into, first, I want, to, I want it to be fresh on your mind that, that we have a call to action in Scripture. 
that we also have a call that there will be accountability in Scripture because what that passage in Matthew 25 also teaches is there's going to be a whole crowd of people that are going to respond back to Jesus and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not do many things in your name? Did we not, do prophes- did we not prophesy? Did we not do many miracles in your name? There will be a crowd of people who they did all the church stuff. They went on the mission trips. They did the stuff that you do when you're around the church circles, but their heart was never in it. They were really never invested in other people. And Jesus' response to them that, that thought, that knew all the right answers, that did all the stuff, but he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me. That's a hard word to take. Because it's not just about being at the events. It's not just about having the answers. But it's about something personal to you in your heart. Personal to you in your belief. Personal to you in what you invest in when nobody else is investing. What you do when no one else sees it. The opportunity that you have to help someone else when no one else is around. There's something about those moments that God values and prizes. And there's something about those moments that shows you what's really going on in your heart and in your head. Jesus takes this so personal of how we invest in other people, how we invest in the least of those other people, the ones who amount to the minimum, not the ones who turn into a great story. There's something about unmerited favor and love that is true throughout the heart and the personality of God that he wants to see displayed through his children. There's that accountability that's in that passage that I want us as a church to be aware of because God wants to see his people walk in obedience. Now, when we think about using our resources, there's that thing of, well, you know, what if they don't amount to enough and I want to be a good steward and I want to multiply what God's given me and and there's this aspect. Well, I want to get back to to the fact that we discern those situations because what scripture teaches us is that we have not been put down here to figure it out by ourselves, but we've been given a counselor. The Holy Spirit is present in the life of a believer. And when we see situations, there are situations that we're called to step into, and there are situations that we're not called to step into. And, and, and God, he is the perfect judge who, who he knows. He, we know and he knows when those situations are, and we know when we've said no to God. But, but he's given us these resources, and so we're supposed to invest them in, in the ways that he calls us to. In Proverbs 19, verse 17, we're going to put on the screen, because this is a great passage about the perspective that we should have when we're talking about giving to, the, to someone who's in need. And, and the passage teaches us this, that if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. And there's the sense of justice, that the things are going to come around in the right way when we do what God's asking us to do, when, when we help someone who's in need. Now, I see this passage through the, kind of the experience in the eyes of having young children. Because, let me know if you agree with me on this. Is the whole earth the Lord's? Yes? Okay. Um, is your whole bank account the Lord's? That's always a scarier one to answer. Yeah, the, the, the world is his. All the stuff is his. But my bank account, um, yes, it is. I don't want to say it loud. Yes, it's his. Is your whole family his? Yes. Everything within all of creation is the Lord's, right? Okay, so the resources that he's entrusted to you, when he gives you something, he says, I want you to give, give part of this away. I want you to use part of this for this. It's not even really yours anyway. And it's kind of, I think, amazing that in Proverbs 19, it teaches that when we help the poor, we're really giving them, first of all, what's God's anyway. But you're lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. 
And I see this through the eyes of my experience with my young kids. Because if you've had kids, you've had this experience as well. There's times, you know, I'm driving and I hit a toll booth and I didn't really think about it. I didn't bring any cash, but I know my daughter has a $5 bill in her pocket. And I say, hey, I need you to give me that $5 bill. And she's like, will you pay me back? Will I pay you back? Do you have shoes on your feet right now? Do you have clothes? Did you chip in any gas money for this car trip? Are you going to go back to our house that I pay for and sleep in the bed that I bought with the sheets and the decorations in the room that I provided for you? Am I going to give you $5 back? I mean, the answer is yes, I am going to give you $5 back, but it's ridiculous that you're asking me. All right? Because I need three of the dollars for this toll booth. I mean, all that stuff is mine, and I've provided you everything that you've needed since the day that you were born, and you're going to give me garbage about handing me $5 for a few minutes. And that's my perspective as a father, and my kids have learned, okay, dad will pay me back, and so I, I don't get that garbage anymore, but man, this is the perspective. The whole earth is the Lord's. Every resource that he's entrusted to us really belongs to him, and we're called stewards of that. And when he puts it on your heart, this situation, I want you to impact it. I want you to use what I've given you to make a difference here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be faithful to you just as I have always been. And I'll be straightforward, honest with you. There are times that because we have been called to be a people who give, that we will say, okay, I would like to have this car, but I'm going to get this car so that I'm free to give the way that I'm called to give. I'm going to miss out on this experience, which is like top 10 fear for some of the younger generations, fear of missing out. I'm not going to get to go on this trip because it's either I'm faithful with what God has given me or or I get to go and spend the money on myself. And so there will be those moments, but those moments are always designed to teach us something and to draw us closer into the heart of God. When When we sacrifice, when we say, okay, I'm not going to get to do that because I'm called to do this, God is always preparing us for something in the future. And for, for those of you guys who've walked with God for a while, we know when we face an obstacle that we've missed the preparation for, it's not as good as in when we were obedient and we were prepared for what we're about to walk through. God, God has reasons for that. He has reasons for why he calls us to give in those moments. Sometimes it's preparation for us. Sometimes he's developing the, the faith in the person that we're helping. But he's always at work through those moments. And, and no, not every opportunity is the opportunity that you're supposed to invest in but that is the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's not as cut and dry. You just always give, always give, always give. But we trust that the Spirit is able to speak to us. But we have to develop the ability to be obedient because sometimes obedience is hard. It requires faith. It requires trust. But we have a Heavenly Father who's continued to meet our needs in their seasons. And so when he puts it on our heart, we learn to respond without fear. Okay, I'll give. Okay, I'll release these resources because I've seen your provision. I've learned to trust. I'm no longer afraid. When we help the poor, you're lending to the Lord and he will always repay you. And when we think about the poor, when we think about the impoverished, we know that just even within America that there's such a wide perspective of what it means to be poor. It's like, you know, I'm poor. I have to get an Android instead of an iPhone. Not really poor. I mean, (laughs) if you've had the opportunity to go overseas to another country where they don't have access to even the things that we have access to, we see that there's a whole different level of poverty that we don't normally see within America. But if you have been on those trips, you've probably also noticed, man, there's a different kind of poverty as well. Because I've been over there, 
And when I'm with them, I feel like I'm impoverished when it comes to the areas of joy and peace because this whole city who has less than me is happier than I am. It's happier than the city that I live in. There's different kinds of poverty, not just financial. And Jesus, he came to impact that. And then he entrusted that ministry over to us. And other countries, they define poverty differently than we do as well. They did a survey of 60,000 poor people in low-income countries, and they didn't define it as not having things. They defined it as a mindset. They said it was this, poverty is a deep sense of shame, of fear, humiliation, and hopelessness. It's not missing out on having a car. It's this sense that I can't ever get out of this situation and I'm trapped here. And I want to take you to the Gospel of Luke chapter 4 where Jesus is speaking and he's teaching in verse 18 and 19. And I want you to see, this is what Jesus came, came to do. He, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus brought good news to the poor because the message of the gospel is supposed to impact them, not just in bringing them finan- that not, not financial prosperity. That's not what the good news is about, though I do believe that it impacts that area. That when you follow God's ways, that his provision follows you as well. But, but the good news that he brought to the poor was of healing, was of hope that, that finances never could provide. That, that he came to declare that the Lord's favor had come. Christ came to save. Christ came to heal. Christ is the answer to brokenness. And any form of poverty really is just an extension of brokenness and sin. And that's what Christ came to heal. That's what Christ came to change. And the church is people who have experienced the healing of the gospel. The church is the people who have experienced the love of God and then carries that to their city, carries that to the people around us. And so we have a mission to carry this healing that God has provided. But there's three really simple concepts, ideas that I want to be in our head because we are called to move towards people who are hurting, move towards people who are broken, move towards people who are in poverty. But if we enter into it the wrong mindset, we're going to really get this wrong and sometimes create more damage than will actually do good. And so the first thing that I want to kind of be on our heart as we talk about moving towards serving and loving those who are in a situation of poverty, we are called to serve others, not save others. We're called to serve others, not save others. Jesus is the answer, and we are the servants. We are not in the place of Jesus. That, the, the answer to someone else's problems is not more of me. The answer to their problems is more of Christ. And we are, we are gifted with resources and we can pro- provide relief in a situation. But the point of me stepping into a situation where I can provide financial relief or help to a situation isn't that they get exposure to me. It's that through that relief, I can point them towards God. Because just, just knowing Paul isn't going to help them. But if I can point them towards Christ, they're going to experience that healing that Christ brought. They're going to experience that good news that Jesus brought to all people. And so the point is not that I go in and I am going to fix their situation, but I'm going to go in and I'm going to be faithful with the resources that God has given me, the calling that God has given me, and I'm going to point them towards Christ because if they can find him, that's when they really find hope. That's when they really find the solution. That's when they really find their future. That's when they really find their calling that is ahead of them. We, we serve people 
we go in where we say, I will do whatever I can to help and serve you. I'm not here to save you. I'm not here to fix you, which is connected to number two. We are called to relate with people, not rescue people. The people that are struggling that God puts in our path, they're not projects for us, but they're people that we can love. And if you've ever been on a short-term missions trip, like I have, sometimes we have this experience where it's like we went with the idea of helping, but we realized we, we didn't really do that in the best way that we could have. Because sometimes we'll see an apartment complex that's run down and the weeds are overgrown and the paint looks terrible. And so we decided, man, I'm going to come here and we're going to spend a few days and we're going to weed the place and we're going to paint the place and we're just going to fix up their lives. And then we talk to the people after we invested all this sweat, all this time, all this money in fixing it up and say, man, what do you think of this? Well, you know, that's great, but some new flowers didn't really change my life. And if we really look at a situation where we want to help someone, we, we might want to find out, you know, we might want to relate to them and find out what do you actually need. Because you might find out rather than just fixing the flower beds, it would be really helpful for me to have a week where, where I get better at English with someone who will be patient with me. If you actually relate with the people who are living in a desperate situation, you might find out what they really need is they need a ride to AA so that they can stay consistent. They need a ride to work. They, they need help getting their daughter to preschool so they can get to their job. You might find what they need and what you think they need is very different. And so we're not called to just go in and, and be the rescue. We're called to relate to them, to find out who they are, to love them where they are, and to help them where they are. Not to just move in and tell them, I know what you need. I'm just going to do what I want to do, and I'm sure it'll just fix you. That's not, that's not what we're called to. That's not how we're called to love. That's not how we're called to live. And, and the third just simple thought that I want in our hearts as we try to do this in our city is that we need to reach out, not down. We, we've divided the world into those who need help and those who offer help, but the truth is we're both. And I don't know, um, and band, if you guys will start making your way up to the stage, I'm going to begin to close this out. I don't know if you've heard the, the story uh, of how Paul and Tia Erminger jumped out of a helicopter and parachuted into the desperate and dying city of Cape Coral to plant Gulfside Church to save the world. That's not how it happened. And that's not how it's happening the fact is, we did move here to plant a church, but from the very first family that we got connected to and we got to see God begin to move in, they were as much an answer to prayer for us as we were for them. You know, we moved here and, you know, God, we need friends. We need people. We, we need community. We're, we're lonely. And, and as we got connected to someone, you know, and God began to move in their life, which is incredible, but they, they began to strengthen our life as well. The, the church isn't about us going and fixing someone else, but, but what scripture teaches us is the church is supposed to be like a body. And one piece, when one piece is missing from the body, the whole body suffers. The whole body is weaker. And what happens as a church grows and gets stronger, the different pieces of the body are, are being assembled in a way that the whole thing can move in, in a more powerful way in the city. And so as other people get connected, it's not that, you know, oh, you know, we, we fixed one more person. Really, we're fixing ourselves because we needed that person in our church. And now that they're here, that gift that God planted in their heart can begin to be used. It can grow and it's going to impact other hearts and get them connected to where this body grows and gets stronger and is a better presence in this city for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the people who serve in this church in major ways, they're not just fulfilling a job description around here. They're people that we, 
we do our lives together. Our lives are connected and we're invested in those people. And at times it's meant people that we love and we care for get up and they move to another city to pursue the calling, which we love and we hate at the same time. Looking at you back there, glad to have Andon home for a week. He's chasing after the dreams God's put in his heart up in Tennessee. And that's what it means. Sometimes we send people. But as this church grows stronger and more people step into leadership roles, it's not that we, we fix someone and look at what they're doing now. It's This is who we're meant to be. This is what the church is meant to be. We don't, we don't fix you and get rid of you, but, but we grow together. And step by step, little by little, we get to see God work in stronger and more powerful ways. And so... When we see situations where someone needs our help, we don't look down at them. We, we don't try to rescue them, we don't try to save them, but we come next to them with the mindset and the heart set. We've walked through that too. And maybe, maybe in the next six months we'll see you, you know, become a CEO and, and do great things, or maybe for the next six months you'll continue to struggle, but whatever the next six months look like, I know that I'm called to be beside you. I know that I'm called to serve you. I know that I'm called to love you. I know that I'm called to invest in you and to encourage you. And that's what we want our heartbeat as a church to be. And so when we talk about how to neighbor, we need to be people who look down the street that we live in and say, whose life can I invest in? Whose life am I called to invest in? Who can I, for the next period, walk alongside see God grow them and gift them and use them because as they get stronger it's going to be fun to watch and amazing to watch but they're going to make me stronger too because as I see their faith get built up it builds up my faith so the church we're not out searching for projects to look to, to work on but we're out looking for opportunities where God is going to build up their faith and build up our faith because we are connected so we don't look down at someone who is struggling financially. We don't look down at someone who, you know, you might say is in spiritual poverty. They don't have a relationship with God yet. And I'd say, you know, if you'd say you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, that's the first and best step that you could ever take in moving your life in the right direction. What the scripture tells us is if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved. And that is the beginning and that is the foundation of God beginning to, to redirect and heal so much of your life. That moment where you believe, that moment where you say, this is where I'm at, God. And we have no greater joy than helping you take that step. And so if you'd say today that you need help in that, I want you to know, I'd love to talk with you after the service. I'd love to walk alongside you as God begins to work. And we've seen time after time when someone says, yes, God, I'm ready. He writes a tremendous story. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that when we struggled and when we were in a situation of financially not making it, that you sent people alongside to help. And I thank you that even though all the resources we have belong to you, you've entrusted us with this position and you've called us, now it's your turn to help someone else. And so when your spirit moves and when you call us to make a difference in someone's life, give us the courage and the strength and the faith to say yes and to do it. 
And whether they become something great or whether they are one of the least of these with the chances they've been given, we know that when we walk in obedience, that you look down in joy. So Father, help us to be mindful of the calling you've placed on the church. Help us to be the church that you want in this city. And we thank you for the great opportunity you've placed in front of us in Jesus' name.